Now shall we read together Romans chapter in Romans chapter 12 please Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable, and perfect will of God. Yesterday, we tried to take a little look at the subject about the, of the change in Christ. It's actually a word study that has been drawing my attention. He was transfigured. Metamorphahu. That is, he was meta metamorphosized, or he was changed, or there was something inside that began to shine out that hadn't been seen there before. The change in Christ, the transformation of Christ. This afternoon, for just a few minutes, I would like to speak to you about the transformation of the Christian, the transformation of the Christian. Have the same word here, and we'll be looking at it, but let me just begin with a question. The question is, are you happy with you? What I mean by that is not, well, actually, I, I wouldn't want to do it, but I actually would love to register a complaint with God that my, my ears are too big, my nose is too long, my feet are too ugly, and I'm too short. That's not what I mean. I'm asking you today, are you happy with you? Or do you have a feeling inside you you would love to be different? Maybe just quite frankly, you're tired of being impatient with your children, angry with your spouse. Maybe you're tired of that nagging habit of lying or the habit of being jealous or competitive in the assembly. Or maybe it's a, a lack of prayer and you're frustrated and you say, I just wish I, just wish I could have a good prayer life. Or I wish I wouldn't be so timid and I could share the gospel and have courage and boldness. I wish I wouldn't, I could be more pure in my thinking. Can I just rephrase what you just said? Since I just put words in your mouth? What you were saying is I would love to have the patience of Christ. I would love to have the courage of Christ. I would love to have the, the purity of Christ. I would love to be more like Christ. That's the change we're looking for. Now, I want you to notice and to encourage you, because that's actually what God wants in you too. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's great purpose for you is that, that you would be made like Christ. And so let it be encouraged. Your desire is the same as God's today. If you would like a change in your, in your person, your way of being, 
And you would like that change. That's what God's purpose is. Yes, he saved you, not just to have you not be in hell. He delivered your soul. He delivers your life. But he wants you to make you just, make you like Christ. John, remember, he was up that Mount of Transfiguration. So he picks up his pen and he says, let me just just comment on that. He doesn't use the word. But he says, when he shall appear... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Brothers and sisters, yes, it's a frustration now. It's a, it's, we're fighting the influences around us and the influence within us, and it's difficult, and you wish you could change. Change is coming. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. So you say, well, if he comes tonight, awesome. And if he doesn't come to 102... Some of the young people are saying, it's a long time to live with me the way I am. Paul picks up his pen and he says, I just want to tell you, don't wait for the change to come then. The changes can begin here and now. The transformation here in this life. And so I want you to think now, Paul says, let me know, say to you that it's now, and I want to explain to you how. So notice with me, first of all, this verse begins with thankful. This section, these two verses, begin with thankfulness. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, because of God's many, His varied, His tender mercy, because of what kinds of things is He talking about? Well, you only need to, you got to realize we just broke into a whole book right in the middle in chapter 12. What goes before that? Well, you'll recall the first eight chapters, if you remember back. If you haven't, be good to read them. And you start to read and you'll find out how we're condemned by sin and that we're all guilty. And, and you read the whole thing and, and it looks so hopeless. And it was, except for God's intervention. And by His grace, through faith in Christ, through the propitiation of Christ, we have redemption. We have justification. We have peace with God. We have the Spirit within us. I'm not going to keep going. We'll be here all day just listing them all off. Romans 1 to 8, all for me, just for an individual. And when you think about all that he's given to you, all of a sudden you come to the end of chapter 8, and you still got three chapters to get to this. And then you begin and you say, well, now, why would God, would God ever take up a dealing with us as Gentile people? We don't deserve that. And you keep reading through and you think, oh, no, Israel, what is going to happen to Israel? And you keep reading to find out God's, God is so gracious. He has a future for Israel as well. And when you look at all of his blessings and all of his kindness to an individual, to the Gentiles, to the Jews, and you look at all and you say, we have an amazing God. What, what, what kind of kindness is that? How could I ever respond to a God who has been that kind, who is that gracious? What would be the fitting response? Why, he deserves, he deserves everything. Paul says, okay. You're right. He says, I beseech you by those mercies, because of that, on the basis of that, that you present your bodies, just your whole person, that that's what you give to God out of thankfulness. You just put it up as if you were a priest, and you're worshiping, and you give it all to God. You say, really? What kind, how kind of sacrifice would that be? Well, he goes on to explain. He said it would be a living sacrifice, holy It would be acceptable. Well, that's what God would love to have from you. A well-pleasing sacrifice. And he says at the end, well-pleasing. And he says it very clearly. That would be your reasonable service. That would be the intelligent thing to do. After all God has given to you, 
What would be the smart, the intelligent, the wise, the right thing to do? The only thing to do would be to, to, to express gratitude and grab the very best you have and give it to the, all to Him. That's Romans 12, verse 1. But, he says, and. Now we come to the tension in this verse. Be not conformed to this world. Now, now understand, we're in the middle of a book. What has he already said about the believer? Chapter 8. Three times in like two verses. He speaks about the spirit that dwells in you. So now that's a given. That's the background. As a Christian, the spirit dwells in you. You say, well, then Christian living should be easy. No, no, he says. There's a tension here. The Spirit of God dwells in you. But now he says, be not conformed to the world. The classic Mr. Phillips translation is, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. So now you get the tension. The Holy Spirit of God within us, inclining us towards God, His ways, His word, His will, His things, His thoughts. And then you have on the outside, that's from the inside out. And then from the outside in, you have the, here's the tension. The world, the age in which we live, that is pressing in upon us, trying to get us to be just like them. You say, well, I got saved, so I, I'm done with the world. I have that dream too. The world wasn't finished with you. I'm not going to let you go. You may, have, you may have gone over to the other side. And you may aspire to be one of, a follower of Christ. But the world and all of its ideas, its thought map patterns, its values, its culture, all of that is going to press in upon us to try and make us not become like Christ, but to become just like the world, the people in the world. So he says now, be not present. This is now, here and now. This is real life Christianity. Be not. And he says it's a command. This is not going to be a natural thing. You're going to have to make a choice here. Be not conformed. You've got, you're in control here. You're not a victim of the world. This is a choice. You, have a, you, you are involved now in this tension. He says, be not conformed to this world. But be you transformed. You say, well, what does that word mean? Well, it's a command as well. But I want you to notice, last thing you need after eating pasta is somebody up here talking about grammar. But you do notice that this is actually a passive, passive command. So what does that mean? You know, you remember that from grammar class? Okay, you didn't learn it either. I had to go back and learn it again. What that means is there's another agent that's doing the action. It's passive. Some agent is working on us. But yet we have a responsibility. The command is to us. So how does that work? The Spirit of God is within us, and yet we are to be transformed. We are responsible for part of that. So now, how is that going to happen? That transformation. Well, he goes on to say, the way it'll happen is it's going to happen with a renovation. 
It's actually a noun, not a verb. A renovation project in your mind. A renovation. A renewing. Now, it's not that you need... This is not a case of a, a flipping a house because you give it a, a coat of paint. This is a David Zudema special. This is a, a fixer-upper. This is a complete renovation. This is something that has to be done. You need a complete renovation of your thinking process. That's the only way the, world, the world's working on you, and the answer to that is not to change the outside appearance. It's not a case now of just dressing a Christian up to look like a Christian. This is something deeper. This tension between the Spirit of God and the world, now there's going to be a, our responsibility. We need a renovation, a new way of thinking that's not our natural thinking. So how's that going to happen? Follow the text. He says, now the way that will happen will be by the renewing of your mind that ye may, or that by proving, testing. I don't know if there's any metallurgists here, but that's the word. They used to go and they test metals to see whether it was quality, what type. Test the metal. So he says, what you're going to have to do now, there's thankfulness, tension, now we come to this transformation, and we come to the testing. How does the testing work? He says, the way, this is going to, the way this mind is going to come in you is this. You will have to test everything to be able to find out what is the will of God. That's the key. The testing for finding out that you may prove, that you may test, that you might find out Philippians 1, that you prove excellent things. Here it is. You test and you prove the will of God. You find the will of God for your life. Not the will of the world. It's the will of God. That's where the Spirit wants to direct you, and you are responsible. If you want to change in your person, in your way of being, it all comes down in Romans 12 to finding the will of God. You say, would that really be good in my life? Would that be really, what, what would that be like if I just, if I really made it my business to pursue God's will in every area of my life. Well, the first thing he says is that the will of God would be good. Let me ask you, could there be anything better for your life than the will of God? It's good. Totally consistent with God's character. It's good. But not only is it the, the best for your life, I want you to think when he says about the will of God, I want you to think about, he says it would be acceptable. That's that same word again. That's what would be the way to give God the most pleasure in your life? Do his will. Learn his will. Test things to see whether it's his will. And in the end, when you are the measure in which you are doing the will of God, that's going is what is going to be well-pleasing to him. It's the best for you. It's the most pleasing to God. You say, but... I already know, I don't, I, I, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. If I evaluate everything in my life according to whether it's the will of God or not, then there's going to be some things I know right now I'm going to have to leave off. I'm going to have to leave them aside. I'll have to put them aside. I'm not going to be able to pursue them. I'm going to have to, they're going to have to be history in my life. But I just feel like if I, if I don't have that, I might be missing something. 
Paul adds this, if you go in for testing things to find out whether it's God's will, he said it will be complete, perfect. What does that mean? Your life will not lack one thing. Anything that is in God's will is complete. So now, just follow me. There's a man coming into the world. He's the only man who spoke before he was born. He's coming from heaven. He's coming down to the age, to the world. He's coming in here. And he looks down. What would be the very best life he could possibly have? What would be the most pleasing life to God? What would be the most complete life for, for, for Christ? He comes into the world and he says, Lo, I come to do Thy will, O God. It'll be best for Him. It'll be most pleasing to God. And it will be a life that will be complete. You said complete. His life had a cross in it. An awful trial. He was hated by people. He was mistreated. You say, what kind of life is that? I don't think there's any one of us here today who would be willing to stand up and say, I think that the Lord Jesus could have had a better, better life on earth. He lived the will of God perfectly. His life was good. It was well-pleasing. And he had a sense of completeness and fullness in his life like no other human being has ever had on planet Earth. So Paul says, look, the world is trying to shortchange you on what is best for you. The world is not seeking the best for you. And the world is certainly not trying to get you to make you so that you are in your person and in your ways to make you so that you are pleasing to God. And the world is not trying to give you a full life. The world's not going to leave you fulfilled. It's going to shortchange you big time. But he says, if you test things and they come out, and the measures that you find and live the will of God, all surrendered, you go in then and you find that. That's how you translate a surrender to God, a worship to God. The way you translate it into practical experience is you test things to find out whether they're the will of God and give yourself to living for God's will. It's the best life. It'll honor God and you will be fulfilled. You say, well... I'm not sure. Honestly, I'm not sure if I really want to make my life a life where I am going. He says, look, the Spirit of God, the world, here there is the key to not become like this, but instead of to become like Christ, who lived in the will of God, that's what the Spirit is working. But now you've got to make the choice. And you've got to live the choice of going all out for God's will. Now, some of this is just, some people just go to the extreme and that they, they, dis, they dismiss, and maybe we all do, dismiss the concept of seeking God's will and they picture somebody standing in the grocery store and there they are, wheat bread, white bread, what's the will of God, shall I bow in prayer? And we may, almost we may mock the concept. Knowing the will of God Involves our brains and common sense. What's on sale? What's healthy? Just comment. But on, on the major issues of life, we have heard this weekend about a spouse. We have heard this weekend about assembly. We have heard this weekend about major choices in life. And when it comes to it all, are you committed? Are you testing things? The mindset. 
Are we looking at well, now, these movements and these ideas that brothers and sisters may be going around? Is that the will of God? Test it with the word of God. Test it because in the measure that things are the will of God, that is what's worth going in for. Because that's what Christ went in for. The will of God. But now, I want you to turn, if you would please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is the fourth use of the word, metamorphoco, the word that is used to describe the transformation of Christ two times in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark, we've looked at it, Romans 12, and now I'm just going to mention in closing, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed, there's the word, transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Get the context quickly. Moses, the law, the condemnation, the law that kills, the ministry of condemnation, the Old Testament, why there was a kind of a physical representation of that one time. Moses himself was up on the mount all those times, and when he went into the presence of God, remember he came out and he was reflecting, he was still Moses, but he reflected the glory of, of God, but it eventually, he had a veil on, but it, it eventually disappeared. Oh, the law is glory. The law has glory. The law is good. Don't ever despise God's law, the Old Testament. It has glory, it's good. But he says, you know something, there's something better. New Testament now. In the New Testament, we have life. We have the Spirit. And, and all the things in Second Corinthians chapter 3. And now he comes down to the end and he says, look, I want to tell you what this new gospel, this salvation, this New Testament, what it can lead to. He says, we all. This is not limited now to, to one man up in a mountain or to people looking at a man reflecting the glory of God. This is now open to you, brother, to you, sister. This is not open to just the spiritual elite among us, the Delta Force, the Ranger Force believers among us who are really super spiritual. This is open to all of us. Newly saved, saved for years, but we all, this is a privilege now we all have. He says, we all, with open face, we don't have, there's no, nothing in between, no veil, no other person, open face, we behold as in a glass, the glory of the Lord. You say, where do I look? Where, where do I look? Where do I look? Where do I look? Where do you find the glory of the Lord? You look at it in this book, beholding. And the idea there is this is not an event. That one time you go up the mountain, you look at it, and then you come down different. This is the constant looking, the looking, you're looking the glory of the Lord. The glorified Christ. You're looking at Christ, and you're looking at Christ. We all. But then he says, with unveiled face, he said, beholding the glory of the Lord. He says, are being transformed into the same image. You do not have to stay the same, and neither do I. We have no excuse. How do you become different? You take a class on self-actualization and just become more of you. Isn't that a scary thought? Do you really want to become more of you? How about becoming like Christ? How could you do that? He says, what you do, he says, is you spend time beholding the glory of the Lord. You observe, you appreciate the glory, 
the glory, all the characteristics, the attributes, the essence, the work, the things, all of Christ, the Lord. And he says, when you are doing that, that is the very process that will transform you, change your character. In what way? He says, you'll go from one degree of glory to another. You're going to go, you say, well, I'm still in degree one. Maybe one B, but I'm still up. Join the cloud. But do you see the unlimited potential there is in our lives? Simply through believing God's principle and his process, that observing Christ in his word will transform our character. You say, really? That's what he says. Really? You know what my answer is? Try it. You might not even realize you're moving from one level of glory, one level of Christ-likeness to another. You say, what would make that all work? How does he end the verse? Even as by the Spirit of the Lord, that Spirit within you, that's what it's working towards, to make you like Christ. So, all that to say, brothers and sisters, two very simple things as you leave the conference. There is full potential for change in our lives. But we have a responsibility to pursue two things. Will of God. Test things to see whether it really is or not. Not whether I like it. Not whether it will work. Is it God's will in His Word? And spending time seeing Christ. You say, well, I don't have the luxury of you preacher men. Sit around all day, reading your Bibles, making large notebooks, building files of all your thoughts of Christ. I'm sorry you feel that that's what we do because that's not the reality. It's just as hard for us as it is for you. The world doesn't want to give you time. You are going to have to decisively discipline yourself for two things constantly be testing is this the will of God and constantly be seeing Christ you see the beauty of that if you're doing the will of God that's Christ likeness and if you're seeing Christ you become like him Stephen as that man looks up what happens as he's seeing Christ he starts to reflect Christ. Imagine, imagine if your spouse, imagine if my spouse, suddenly, suddenly stopped seeing so much of John Dennison and started seeing more of Christ. I don't think she'd complain. What if your parents, what if your boss, what if the elders in your assembly stopped seeing so much of you and started seeing more of Christ? You doing more, me doing more of the will of God. And all of us seeing more of Christ. Christ is all. To live like Him and to be like Him. Will of God and the Son of God seeing Him in all His glory. So I want to challenge you as I close. How many of us would like to go away and are willing to make a disciplined choice? 
that I am going to carve out time every day, every week. I'm going to carve out time, pray to God. I'm going to call on others to help me to guard that time. Have notebooks, build files, send texts, whatever you do, to be able to meditate in the person of Christ. Find him in his word. Enjoy him. Be a wonderful thing of the next Midland Conference, Park Conference. If there was a lot less of us here, I've enjoyed it. This is not a complaint. Wouldn't you love to just to come next time and just be a little bit more like Christ? It would be worth it all. Be not conformed, be transformed by the renovation of your mind through the proving of what is the will of God. And be changed from one level of glory to another by beholding Him. May God help us to be more like Christ. May God bless his word.